0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime
1: Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, I'm back from my travels, I'm back home and for me, it's been another lovely week of living mostly alone with a constant feline companion and just one episodic human one. That is pretty much the way to go it is the sweet spot as far as I'm concerned it's a good life Eric you should try it sometime
2: well I, I wouldn't try that exactly as I am allergic to most cats so I'll uh, do respect to Alpha ah, T uh, that that life ain't for me uh, but as it so happens Kieran uh, my, my home life is not too different from yours at the moment as my wife and kids left Thursday night for a long weekend at the shore so there are no humans in my house but me and mm-hmm. My brother-in-law had to fly to the West Coast for a wedding, so they dropped their dog off with me. So I have Otis and his cousin Clover, a.k.a. Grover, a.k.a. Grovelteen. You know how the the pet (laughs) nickname thing works. Eventually, there's no connection between their name and and what you're calling them. But anyway, uh, (laughs) since Thursday night, it's been just me and the two dogs. It's boring as hell. Um, I'm I'm basically just working, sleeping, eating, and watching sports, but, uh, you know, short-term— Boring is nice. I'm not sure I want to live the Kieran life long term, but as an occasional break from my life, it isn't bad.
1: Well, yeah, there,
2: there you go. I mean, it, it works. I mean, I, yeah, I, I have a hard time imagining
1: being surrounded by—let me see. I'm going to try and phrase this properly— um, <laughs> four legs most of the time six legs periodically that's quite enough additional legs in my house okay right yes
2: yeah on leg count uh counting me there are currently 10 legs in the house which is not not that (laughs) different different. from the yeah right normally (laughs) there are 12 legs in the house so we're only down two legs there you go all
1: right but what's important is that the four Legs of the Showtime boxing podcast are here, or something like, that. <laughs> or something like, like that. This yeah, this, but... this August, tremendously well
2: the, for for the a, for, the, for what we cover, it's the arms that matter, but uh, right. But we're counting the legs, right? Exactly. Once again, the kind of analysis you don't get anywhere else. Hashtag and... analysis. Hashtag analysis.
1: Also coming up this week on the podcast, we will talk about the Canelo Charlo press tour. Uh, And there's a tremendous pay-per-view undercard coming together to go with that. Uh, We will preview Alexander Usyk's heavyweight title defense against Daniel Dubois. Uh, I'll see if I can match Eric's most recent performance in the fight game. Spoiler alert, I won't. And Eric (laughs) will count down the five greatest bantamweights in boxing history. But we're going to start this week with a guest. I will note before throwing it to the interview... It was recorded prior to the rest of the podcast. Our Zoom connection got slightly blippy a couple of times, so a few words were lost. But we think you will love the interview just the same. It was with one of the most exciting 140-pound contenders around right now, who recently scored a first-round KO to run his record to 17-0 with 17 knockouts. Most importantly, he is a member of one of our very favorite boxing families, Gary Antoine Russell. Welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Uh,
0: thanks for having me. I want to say before. I was gone for too long, and it feels good to be back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and we were excited to see you back in the ring. Congratulations on the win over Kent Cruz last week. Um, This was your eighth first-round knockout in 17 fights, although your first first first-round knockout in uh, three and a half years. To what extent, Antoine, were you thrilled to have scored the KO1, and to what extent were you disappointed that you didn't get any rounds in?
0: Uh, That's a good question. Um, I'm not too upset at the fact that I got a first round knockout, but because it's a dangerous sport, of course, you know, you always want to come out unscathed and have a flawless victory. But like my brother said, there's always space for growth. And you due to the fact that this is show business, of course, you want to showcase the skill set. I have a tremendous amount of skill set, you know, uh, versatility, and so forth. And I don't think I was able to showcase any of that with my first round. But what I can say is I'm proud of myself. Being punctual and executing the game plan. You know, we knew that he was going to be a long, rangy fighter. So I had to close the distance, you know, and everything that would have been effective would have been close range. It would have had to be close range, you know.
2: Right. So I guess what, uh, uh, I'll rephrase the question sort of this way. What's the, if you could have scripted out the fight, how many rounds would you ideally in a perfect world have wanted it to go? Is it like three or four would have been nice, still get the early knockout, but get a a little more work in?
0: Something something in that range. Yeah. i say four, (laughs) four or or six, you know, because I say personally, like a real, good professional fight it doesn't start until round four mm-hmm. you yeah. both got the jitters off of you you're still fresh but not too fresh to the point where it's like uh you haven't broke a sweat it's kind of like all right now your second win is there the adrenaline is at the right stage for you to go into the next gear by round four i think both competitors should be at that type of uh gauge
1: Right. Tell us a little bit about that body shot that finished him. Was that a punch that yeah. you were specifically working on for this fight? Definitely.
0: Definitely. And I, honestly, uh, I thought because it was the first round, he would have been more durable, not taken away from my of power. Because I, I told people plenty of times, I'm bringing a punching power. I'm bringing speed, I'm bringing ring IQ, you know, and durability. You know, uh, I try to be well-rounded as a athlete, you know, uh, a boxer and with my skill set. So I was thinking I ah, should have been a little more durable, but I can't take away from my power and it was a well-placed shot as well. If you pay close attention, it was a well-placed shot, well-timed shot, you know. And uh, with those little gloves on, well, I think anybody, if you have good uh, precision, you're going
1: to get results. You're you mentioning how you, you were hoping he'd be a bit more durable, but I'm really fascinated. When you land a punch like that, do you know when you've landed it? Like, yeah, that's, that was the one. Or do you kind of step back and wait to see the reaction?
0: Yes, you definitely know. You know, you feel it. It's just a feeling in your, your hand. It's like you can feel the muscles within your opponent giving in, like caving in, almost like a uh, elastic band. You can stretch it and you feel the resistance, but once it get to a certain point, it just get weaker. Or you get to a certain point and get tighter, you know. But with his with his gut, it kind of like it sunk in the right, it sunk in the right position, like with perfect timing, perfect precision punching, and. Uh, I knew I was going to get a result. Okay. You know, uh, if you see the first knockdown, I was actually coming back with a, a right hook to finish the combination cuz that that's the combination we were working on. Left to the body, hook upstairs, left okay. left crows, finished with a left crows. You know, his last fight he got put down with a right crow, a right hook. Okay. You know, um so we was operating on setting that up as, as far as our game plan we'll go left cross make him reach reach for uh, my right side if I throw a left cross by him being an Orthodox fighter and it put me on his hook side so the closest punch will be his hook the most logical, um, I guess selection of punching he should throw or want to throw will be his hook so I was expecting it have my hand up left cross to the body, Hook upstairs, but the body put him down. The body shot put him down, and I couldn't get the hook on. But I motioned it. I motioned it, so it's like ah, it's okay. Boy, he, he he gonna last. I look at the crowd like he gonna last. I got his number. I see him now. I got him now. You know, at that moment, I had his timing and in the distance now that I needed.
2: Yeah, he, he didn't last, and, uh, and that helped you uh, extend this, this perfect KO record that you have, this streak of, of 17 knockouts in 17 fights. Um, the light heavyweight Edgar Berlanga, he, he had a spectacular KO streak, and, and it set pretty high expectations, and he isn't quite living up to those expectations anymore. Do you feel any pressure to keep the streak alive? Do you at all want to go the distance one time so there isn't a streak um, to think about?
0: I mean, a knockout streak, it's a notch under your belt. You know, when you look at the credentials that a person have, I think it, it makes your credentials look a little more sweeter. You know, Deontay Wilder, for an example, all his fights was knockouts. Until he had one fight that just went the distance doesn't mean that he isn't a tremendous power puncher. He got a a cannon in his left arm, you know? <laughs> and that would never go uh, as an understatement or get undermined in. Everyone knows, every opponent that gets in the square with him know that I got to watch out for his left hand because he got a candle in there. You know, uh, the record shows, the, the accolades, I said accolades, excuse my my grandma, um, it just shows within your your record, your credentials. And I said in the interview before that uh, I'm not going in there looking for a knockout, but if you come, we got a natural thing because us as athletes we try our best to be precise to execute the game plan that we've been training months in the gym to execute we got one opponent we understand how they're going to operate and how they fight and it's our job to come up with a game plan to execute that game plan you know so that's kind of like what it is and as you go on in your career, that becomes, like, a stigma that that's second nature. Like, okay, this is a game plan. I'm going to do it. I train for it. I know what to do. I got to get it done. Nothing yeah. more, nothing less. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you're going to not get met with resistance, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Talking of game plans, we are, we're huge fans of your brother, Gary Russell Jr. Uh, he's been on the podcast a yeah. bunch of times. He's Me a too. fantastic guest. <laughs> And and now he's your head trainer and I and I'm curious how, how that works for you guys. It's
0: it's actually normal because you know, my father was here, I guess like multitasking and reading certain things, certain tales. Like he can tell when we are about to start damaging our bodies before we even know it, due to just working out consistently. So he would have us working on different things simultaneously, you know, but his main focus would be Mr. Gary Russell because he has a match coming up. But it doesn't mean I'm going to take my full attention off of me or Gary Antonio Russell or Gary Allen Russell, you know. He was training all of us all at one, but he knew what each and every last one of us needed to work on, you know. And now that he's gone, it's kind of like, we got the muscle memory of that togetherness when we train. I got something coming up doesn't mean that my brothers isn't going to be training in the gym when I'm training for my match, you know. <laughs> so the the family-oriented thing is, is all having a coach that you got to pay that's not your brother. You got to wait for him to pull up at the gym. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he might be late, might be early. You never know, you know. But now I can call my brother whenever. at Three in the morning, four in the morning, like, hey, bro. I might be running a little late, but just <laughs> meet me in the middle, okay? Or hey, I'm I'm gonna be here early. Or what's the game plan? You want to change and go swimming, do a aquatic training this time because I got a little twitch in my shoulder. Whatever the case may be, you know, we could change the plans on the on the fly, and mm. they are willing because we're all trying to help each other. We're fueling mm. each other. I guess that's the glory of that being trained by my brothers.
1: Mm. I've always been struck, I I think one time we were talking to Gary, and he was talking about how it was such a different scene at your guys' gym, because it's all family, there are kids there and everything, and I'm really struck by how important family is to you guys. Like, I feel like, yeah, you're boxing, is your career, but family is number one for all of you, isn't it?
0: Yes, and it's it's just as big of a job uh, as a nine to five, because... When you're dealing with family, you're dealing with a lot of um, morals. Morals, being obedient, being mature, you know, understanding a, a certain position that you play your role within the family circle. You know, it's like you don't want to triumph anyone. You don't want to uh, uh, just go against the grain in any type of way, based off of you just having the additional ideas or feeling like that your ego or pride just got hurt or diminished. Sometimes you just got to deal with the fact that your ego and your pride and stuff is being, being tampered with a little bit. It teaches us personally humility because there is an order, you know, you got the oldest and the next and the next and the next. And even though you're the youngest, it's like, all right, I don't want to take this crap from all of the brothers because I'm the youngest. But at the same time, they are considerate enough to not put me through so much wreaking havoc or trauma or stress to the point it's breaking me as a as a person and my character tree. You know? So that comes with uh consideration, being aware, maturity, you know, the eyesight, you gotta have a vision for that. My my dad actually is still with a lot of things like that. And um Fortunate to have fortunate to have I believe we all are
2: yeah um so so last week uh on our podcast, as Kieran and I were analyzing your win, uh I rattled off a few names of fellow up and coming hundred forty pounders that I'd love to see you fight next, um like some of the names I threw out there, Elvis Rodriguez, Brandon Lee, Kenneth Sims, Richardson Hitchens. any of those names particularly excite you,
0: not really. I'm going for a Regis. Okay. I'm going for a Regis Pro Grade. Okay. Uh, who else? Who else? The W. The, the IBF. Uh, yeah, Rollie Romero. He's he's ranked. I believe he has one of the titles. At first, it was Josh Taylor because he had all of them. I've been looking at TL Fimo fans. He just came back. You know, congratulations. Mm-hmm. He had a little, I guess, uh, situation that him back you know but it's all right everybody has their days i'm just happy that he he getting some traction again and finding a piece you know but uh he's one of the ones that i've been looking at because he's a titleist my thing is we're not trying to we're not trying to go backwards Mm -hmm. this is the career that we want to build and you're supposed to be going forward shouldn't be stagnant if you if you stagnant i think uh it's probably due to some things just being prolonged or you're just not doing the right things you're not moving productively in the right direction that's pretty much that
2: right so me sort of throwing out sort of a either a sideways step or a slight progression kind of thing that doesn't interest you 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 want to leap to the top asap basically
0: definitely okay definitely the best fight the best Everyone else? Y'all gotta climb the ladder just like I did. If you if you're up to the task, climb that ladder and you'll see me up there. And I'm be I'll be waiting, happily <laughs> with a smile, <laughs> with a smile. Like, come on in. I was waiting for you. <laughs>
1: So so that's the who. What about the when? Like, how active do you want to be? You've been fighting like once or twice a year. Do you want to be more active? Do you want to get a shot real soon? What are you thinking?
0: I definitely want to get a shot real soon. Uh, I want to get a, another show going on for you all before the end of the year is up. Um, based off of me being inactive, like I said, we, everybody has their days and their moments when it's just a little setback. Um, My dad was one. Before my dad, it was my brother. One of my older brothers has passed away. Uh, And it was just a lot of grieving going on. We fought through it, but it was still some things that was just not all the way there. And if you're not all the way there mentally in this sport, you're bound to get hurt badly. You know, this is, I guess, 80% mental, the rest physical, to be honest. And uh, that was a setback. As far as my brother, and my dad, the grieving phase. On top of, I think before this sh- this date, it was another date that was set, but for some reason, it was a lot of dirty urines and just surprisingly, I hurt my my thumb, my left thumb in camp, a training camp, preparing for the match. So everything got postponed. I got postponed because I had to go to the orthopedics specialists and basically get my hand looked at um the other people they just had to clean themselves, detox and it kind of messed up the whole show so i was just like hey i guess this isn't God's speed <laughs> you know but i'll uh, be ready for the next one and i was ready showed up got the job done within one round
2: all right, so so last thing here, uh, Antoine. Ending on a, a fun note, uh, a, a non-boxing note. Um, I understand that that you taught yourself sign language. How how do you go about teaching yourself sign language? No,
0: no, actually, that's Gary Antonio Russell.
2: Oh, <laughs> I, was no. the, I was reading. I was reading notes on the wrong Gary Russell, huh? Oh, I, I fell into the trap.
0: Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Just, just a little bit. It's nothing. Nothing but correction that needs to be done. And I ain't going to steer you <laughs> in the wrong direction. I ain't going to leave you in the blind now. I'm going you know, to let you know the honest truth. But I have been interested in uh, learning a little bit. So here and there, we're sign language to each other. Just oh, small okay. things. It's like, what's up? You know? Things like that. How you feeling? Huh. Is is cool.
2: there is there a particular motivation for it? Like that? You guys know somebody who's hearing impaired, and that's why he wanted to learn it, and that's why you're learning it a little bit, or just uh, just something that Antonio decided uh, to do.
0: It was just something that he decided to do personally. I think, like I said, uh, the brain is a is a muscle, and just like any muscle, if you work it enough, it's going to perform a certain way. And my father, he was the type that was like, he, he didn't limit us. Mm. He didn't want to make us like limited to anything. And I think due to him just starting to be more of an introvert after that whole grieving phase, he just had to find something that consumed and, and, and filled that void a little bit. So he was like, let me do something. because I don't want to be too corrupt mentally. Mm. You know, we all are outgoing. We always got open arms, open doors to people. You know, if it's not no weird type of energy or vibe going on, disrespect, stuff type. But for the most part, I'm pretty sure he dealt or seen a lot of people that was a mute or just couldn't hear. And he saw in sound language and he actually had a couple of people that he had encounters with that did it. Although they was not a mute or deaf. They did it because they wanted to learn it, hmm. and he just fell into the 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 need to. Right, I just want to learn something else. I want to learn something, so he started teaching himself. That's cool, right? And well, I thought that was amazing because you don't have yeah. too many people that teaches themselves sign language. My father made sure that we was all kind of like well rounded. I think that was his, his biggest goal. Now they were just being financially stable outside of our profession, but. He lived by this code. Um, they say a parent has failed their failed their kids if they didn't prepare their kids for life without them. Hmm. And I wow. believe he was trying to do that the best way possible because there's no handbook to being a parent, you know. They're just now starting to make some rule books, some handbooks that are helpful. You know, <laughs> God, thank you. Right, like, right? <laughs> But realistically, it, it, it was it was no handbook that was telling you do this to your child. Your child is going to come out like this,
2: right? Right. Well, that's that's great. I I asked a, uh, a a question that turned out to be a bit of a mistake of a question, but it ended up leading to a great answer, so it was worth it.
1: hey look antoine thank you so much it's been an absolute treat and a joy to have you with us and uh congratulations again on your recent win and we look forward to talking to you again real soon they definitely
0: will have we're gonna manifest it all right
2: all right that sounds great thanks so much antoine
1: thanks for having me thanks again to antoine dude you and i have said this before but I freaking love that family. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. They're so nice. And they've always got something interesting to offer. They always like think about their answers. They're generous Mm -hmm. with their time. And I know you and I will never forget Gary Jr. very patiently letting us Mm -hmm. call back four times when our connection (laughs) just wasn't working. I'm picking it up each time from where we left it off. Yep. Yep. They're great guys. Love them. Thank you, Antoine. Um, All right. Hey, look, let's stay on the topic of unbeaten 140 pounders. Uh, We are coming off an extremely light boxing weekend. But if there's one fight worth discussing, it's our buddy and showbox alum Kurt Scooby's sixth round stoppage of Narciso Carmona Friday night from Atlanta. Uh, Eric, what do you think of Scooby's performance in taking Carmona's O and running his own record to 13 0 with
2: 11 KOs? I was impressed with Scooby. Um, it was less spectacular than when he blew through John Manu on showbox, but more impressive in a way because Carmona was tall and rangy and required patience and persistence from scooby and he showed both um he was winning all the way but that doesn't mean it was easy carmona was stifling his offense in spots carmona landed some decent shots of his own in the fourth and fifth rounds but scooby kind of built and built his offense got a little better each round he found the range more the first round or two he was landing some leaping punches purely on this explosive athleticism he has uh. by the end he was landing big punches through timing and skill in combination with that athleticism of course um you know scooby's previous fight uh, which was less than two months ago so that's good that he's staying active but it was it was against the ghost of hank lundy um uh. that was easy work for him this wasn't this this took some work but he still got the stoppage look Way too soon to say if this is a future champ we're looking at when you compare him to a Gary Antoine Russell or some of those names that I ran by Antoine, like Elvis Rodriguez or Brandon Lee. Scooby has a little ways to go to prove he's even on that level. But I like the raw tools. There is zero questioning the commitment. Um, I'm sure Kurt Scooby is somewhere right now running on a treadmill or climbing (laughs) a mountain or something. Um, (laughs) But I definitely liked what I saw from him on Friday. Nice. Uh now so next weekend is not a huge boxing weekend either, but it's certainly bigger than this past weekend. The fight getting the bulk of the attention is the bout Saturday in Rocklaw, Poland, streaming in the U.S. on ESPN Plus for three heavyweight belts, undefeated pound-for-pounder Alexander Usyk, fighting someone not named Anthony Joshua for the first time in almost three years. He defends against Daniel Dubois, who has won four straight since his upset loss to Joe Joyce in 2020, but in the last of those, he had to get off the canvas three times in the first round to beat Kevin Lorena. He tore his ACL in that fight. He's coming back about eight months later. The sports books have him about a plus 700 underdog and Usyk about a minus 1200 favorite. Kieran, is this heavyweight title fight that lopsided and easy to predict in your view? I mean, the odds don't feel terribly wrong. They might be a smidgen
1: wide because it's heavyweight boxing and Mm -hmm. anything can happen. Um, And let's not forget Dubois is not a scrub. It wasn't very long ago that we were touting him as a possible future of the heavyweight division. Um, and he does have that combination of size and skills and strength. It could be dangerous for anyone on the right night, but yeah, look, Usyk is special. And on those moments where he's looked uncomfortable at heavyweight, it's been against much bigger guys who are super aggressive. Like when Derek Chisora was just throwing everything at him. Um, And that isn't really what Dubois does or how he works. Plus, Usix always found a way ultimately to turn that aggression against them when when that has happened. I think probably Dubois might be being written off a little too much too soon. And I think he'll be more competitive than he's being given credit for. But I don't think he's going to win, especially early on. I could see him being fairly close in many of the early rounds, but it's hard to look past. The idea of Usyk like getting his timing down and by this you know halfway point getting into his groove and 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 you know sweeping or almost sweeping the the final six rounds. I see a kind of one seventeen, one eleven, maybe one sixteen, one twelve win for Usyk. That's a pretty clear win, but it's close enough to, for to spark Tyson Fury into chirping at Usyk again and valiant enough in defeat that Dubois might be taken seriously again as a viable heavyweight contender. That's kind of how I see it, going.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't even be shocked at all to see Usyk stop him. Probably not like a knock him out cold kind Uh of thing, but like an Uh accumulation of punishment and he's just like getting outboxed so soundly that his corner throws in the towel or something that that seems possible, not to mention if something is not quite right with his knee, this is really
1: fast yeah, to come back
2: from an AC Hell yes. tear, So it yeah. uh, could be an, an injury pull out as well. So I haven't looked at the specific odds yet on knockout versus decision, but if there's some nice plus money, like something over plus 200 on Usyk by stoppage, I might even think about that
1: there you go um, alright the other card of note next week also puts the spotlight on the big boys it's an ESPN televised card in the evening Saturday from Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, the main event is a 10 rounder between Jared, Big Baby Anderson and Andrei Rudenko while the undercard features FA Ajagba which is Jan Kosaputsky in a 10 rounder and Bakadir Jalalov against Onor Yodi This there's a reason
2: you gave me this <laughs> this segment isn't it <laughs> you, yeah you've been yep. waiting for this you'll, moment you'll, you'll notice you'll, you'll notice that i'll probably avoid saying jalalov's opponent at all the one that just tripped you up completely <laughs> <Good> lord <laughs> i was really happy with how i was doing you you made it you made it most of the way through the last name that's uh, a tough one but give it another try it who's who's jalalov fighting uh some guy Uh, Anything here have you particularly interested? (laughs) Um, Rudenko is kind of interesting for Anderson coming off Anderson's quasi-struggle against Charles Martin in that I don't think Rudenko has any chance of winning, but he is extremely sturdy and and has all sorts of potential to force Big Baby to go the distance a second time in a row, and it'd be something of a statement if Anderson got him out of there, but Also, will be interesting to see how he handles not being able to get him out of there, if that's how it goes. Uh, Rudenko has six losses, but only one by stoppage, and it was far from a true KO. Uh, In 2021, against undefeated Vladislav Serenko, Rudenko was losing every round and doing a ton of holding, and the ref stopped it with him on his feet in the sixth round, holding. The ref basically seeming to have decided Rudenko was just holding and not fighting yeah. back um but but he wasn't badly hurt it was a bit of an odd stoppage um his other losses are all by decision to the likes of gilay Zhang, alexander provietkin huey fury lucas brown he's never beaten a world-class fighter he will not beat jared anderson but the test is to see whether Big Baby can hurt him and take him out. Um, Ajagba and Kosabutsky is solid on paper. Uh, Kosobutski is unbeaten and, and I think should be favored to beat Ajagba. And Jalalov should have a fairly easy night. But, you know, he's a highly promising prospect. Always good to see him in action. The card as a whole, look, as always with heavyweights, Potential for some plotting, non-action, and some boredom, but also potential for some good fights and big knockouts. It's the kind of card that's right in that sweet spot of, like, I'm not arranging any of my Saturday night plans around it, but if I'm home on a Saturday night with nothing much going on, could be a fun card to turn on, open up a single spiked fruity beverage, and half pay attention. (laughs) All right, and speaking of half paying attention, if any listeners have been doing that, Now's the time to switch into full attention mode because it is time for the fight game. Uh, Last week, you gave me a layup. uh, Not for everybody necessarily, but certainly for me, uh, Mickey Ward and Emmanuel Augustus. I owe you a layup, but I think it would be a bit too obvious if I came back with one the very next week and you kind of knew what was coming. I I need to hit you with a layup when you're not necessarily expecting it. Like if I gave you a Miguel Cotto fight or some mega fight, that I know for sure you were ringside for or something that might be a little too obvious. So, and actually, did I give you a Kodo fight once? I, I think I did Kodo and Ricardo oh, Torres a while back. Maybe we, we, I
1: know that's come up in one of our segments somehow. Yeah, Yeah. but I could. I'm not entirely. No, it was Kodo Torres. You gave me Klitschko Peter.
2: Ah, and and used Kodo Torres -Torres as a clue. Right. Okay, that sounds right. So, all right, I owe you a Kodo fight at some point, but it's not this week. Um, I'm I'm trying to give you a standard level of difficulty fight game here. So let's see how you do. First clue. (laughs) Uh, This was the televised co-feature to a Roy Jones light heavyweight main event, and it saw a future Hall of Famer suffer the first loss of his career.
1: Televised co-main so Roy light heavyweight.
2: Mm -hmm. So you should be able to target the range of possible years. Right. But still... Um, <laughs> but still alas <laughs> you're not getting it in one
1: here we are i am not going to get it in one i mean wait, but a lot of times that like heavyweight so yeah. yes i i
2: i but the, a future hall I of famer suffering the first loss of his career that's not that's not making you think of anyone just on its own
1: don't be quite so judgmental
2: with the way you ask that question (laughs) well it seems like you're ready to
1: move on to clue two and i just want to (laughs) oh Oh, i am oh okay all right that's what you're looking for if you were looking for me to go yes
2: okay all right then clue two the winner of this fight was not quite a future hall of famer but he had a damn fine career he came into this fight with a record of 42 and 2 and was a former bantamweight belt holder and would finish his career with a mark of 50 and 6. would finish his career with him. So now you know the rough year range. You know you know the weight range. You know the loser was a hall of famer. The winner was not. Not quite a hall of
1: famer. Um, uh, it's correct. Well, you actually haven't explicitly said that this fight was a bantamweight.
2: I have not said that. For a reason (laughs) (laughs) all i said is he was a former bantamweight belt holder so it could have been bantamweight gotcha fighters do tend to rise in weight as they go along that's all i'll say okay um
1: no it's not happening for me yet
2: okay all right clue three these two men had a rematch five months later and the same fighter won by narrow unanimous decision, dropping the future Hall of Famers record to forty three and two. In the end, nearly a decade and a half later, the loser of these two fights would finish with a record of sixty seven and seven. Oh. Is this are we talking about Junior Jones and Marco Antonio Barrera? You got it. Well done, Kieran. Uh... That was that was pretty good. Not like wow, an A plus plus, but
1: or black, or black.
2: Okay. it was one of his first light heavyweight fights. Um, uh, clue five even was going to spell out which Roy fight. Uh, so here I'll give you I'll give you clues four and five, and then we'll continue to discuss. And I I viewed it as you got it one clue earlier than I was totally confident you would get it. Okay. I I thought clue four would give it to you for sure. It was. Basically, this result was a fifth round knockout, but officially it was a fifth round disqualification. I feel like you you would have known. Right. Um, And then clue five. In this 1996 fight in Tampa underneath Roy Jones, Mike McCollum, we learned that if you have a baby face, you don't want to get poison on it. (laughs) I'm very proud of myself for that fifth <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> yes, giving myself a little pat on the back, but uh, and you get a pat on the back as well. I think three is a good score on this one. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting.
1: Like that, I was a little thrown out by, you know, I made that offhand comment about, oh, well, Roy is fighting a light heavyweight for a long time, and yes, that longer even than I
2: than I <laughs> thought about because right. that feels.
1: Wow. Well, yes, yeah, so I I did not know that those two were on the those two fights were on the same card
2: indeed they were this was this was the co-feature junior jones shocking barrera by technically what was ruled a fifth round disqualification and then in the main event roy beat mike mccallum
1: boy and doesn't it
2: isn't that one of the best
1: illustrations why you just don't write someone off mm-hmm. right because i seem to recall that an awful lot of us were a bit willing to write off barrera after those two fights yeah and and he just went away and retooled and came back a much more rounded and much, much better fighter.
2: Yeah, I'd be curious to look up what the odds were going into his first fight with Morales. I know he was the underdog, and I'm just wondering how, yeah, how big an him. underdog, because I do feel like at that point it was Eric Morales' ascending, and Barrera, yeah. eh, maybe his best days are behind him, which turned out not quite to be the case. Yeah. Ah, wow. Excellent. Oh, I'm mildly pleased with myself. For yes, that, I think I'd you should be more than, than mildly pleased. Like I said, three <laughs> is three is a good score there. Not an A+, but I, I think that's at least an A- performance from you. All right.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll take that. It's better than I ever got at school.
2: So. <laughs> All right. Um, it has been a, a fairly busy news week. And for our news main event... Let's sell out and talk about the next huge (laughs) pay-per-view distributed by the people who sign our paychecks. Uh, Canelo Alvarez versus Jermel Charlo on September 30th at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. The fighters embarked this past week on what has become a typical press tour in the modern age. One press conference in New York on Tuesday, one in L.A. on Wednesday. And the theme that emerged was one of civility. Neither fighter talking any trash, both being respectful— Nothing close to a Canelo plant fists flying situation. <laughs> the fight will have to sell mostly on the strength of the fight and the fighters, because Canelo and Jermel clearly have no interest in creating a sideshow to sell it. It also may sell to serious fight fans on the strength of its undercard. Uh, none of this is official yet, but ESPN's Dan Raphael reports what should be an outstanding co-feature jesus ramos jr versus erickson lubin at 154 pounds while another friend of the show albeit one whose name jake paul has never butchered uh, keith <laughs> Idek, uh was first to report a middleweight bout on the card between elijah garcia and armando Resendez. uh kieran your thoughts on the canelo charlo press tour and this undercard that's reportedly in the works hey it may not generate headlines
1: or memes of viral videos but i like the fact that canelo and jamel were classy um they don't need stunts or pushing or shoving to, to sell this. Um, you know, maybe that kind of stuff works sometimes with casual fans to attract, you know, the occasional casual fan. But most of the casual fans you want to attract are going to know who Canelo Alvarez is anyway right. and, you know, probably won't need a face-off scuffle to pique their interest. So, yeah, look, there's, there are plenty of storylines to support this fight and and I think it's interesting enough purely on its own merit. So um, good for them for not sort of unnecessarily coming up with uh, uh sideshow distractions or, or, headlines or whatever um, the undercard so far. Good Lord. I mean, um, Garcia Resendez just an excellent young middleweight matchup uh, for folks who can't quite remember Resendez is coming off a, a very good stoppage of Jarrett Hurd. Garcia has wins over Kevin Salgado and Amikar Vidal in his last two outings. That's a really good fight to think that that's first or second fight potentially on a pay-per-view. That's fantastic. Ramos Lubin, my God, um, hadn't thought about that as a possible matchup. As soon as as soon as it gets got mentioned, I I just I, I I'm having sleeping problems lately. Perhaps that's why I'm that excited <laughs> about it. Um, wow. I'm a, I'm so into Ramos from what we've seen of him. He seems like yeah. such a terrific young contender. But Lubin looked so good against Luis Arias last time out, and he is going to ask young Ramos questions that he didn't even know exist yet um and we'll see how he answers those questions or even if he's able to that's going to tell us a lot about what Lubin still has and just how good Ramos potentially could be and it's just given the styles of these two fighters I cannot see anything but an exciting fight this is going to be a fantastic co-main
2: uh it has to be I think I'm very excited about that yeah I mean we always hear the promoters say and the networks say that oh the undercard doesn't sell the pay-per-view it doesn't really make a difference whatever but i think for the hardcore fight fans for any of them who were perhaps on on the fence about canelo and jermel i think this undercard will lock in a lot of those hardcore fight fans who, who weren't quite sure if they wanted to order it it's going to be hard to say no with a, an undercard like this
1: Ah, absolutely um let's break up the news undercard into two sections uh fights in the work and assorted other stuff here's the news on fights announced or expected to be announced soon uh matchroom boxing unveiled its fall schedule uh the biggest bout among a series of cards is a flyweight unification fight between bam rodriguez and sonny edwards that's set for december 16th in Glendale, arizona um the aforementioned dan rafael of espn that Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez versus Joe Smith Jr. is close to being done for October on DAZN. And also that Janabek Alimkanela and Vincenzo Gualtieri will unify a couple of middleweight straps on october 14th on espn and the september 15th showbox card has been announced it's a triple header from san antonio and the main event is a 10 round super bantamweight fight between panama's rafael pedroza 15-0 with 11 ko's and local san antonio boxer ramon cardenas uh, 22-1 with 11 ko's eric any thoughts on any of those
2: matchups? Yeah, you, you mispronounced it. It's Panama's Raphael Pedrosa. Just, <laughs> right. just trying to further confuse you because <laughs> right. I, I've now reached the point where I have to pause and wonder in my head which one is even correct anymore when I'm, when I'm getting ready to read Dan's name. Um, I like that uh, Pedrosa-Cardenas showbox made event on paper. Pedrosa has never fought outside Panama before, so... You know, tough way to make your U.S. debut in your opponent's hometown. And um, also, uh, Freudus Rojas is in one of the two undercard fights there. We saw him score a nice win on Showtime in July on the uh, Frank Martin-Artem Hartunian Mm -hmm. undercard. Um, Aleem Kanuli versus Galtieri. Boy, does that demonstrate that not all unification fights are created equal? Uh, I can't yeah. imagine there ever having been a meeting of two middleweight titleists in history that I cared less about, um, and it, and it speaks to the fact that the middleweight division is very weak right now. I mean, in my head, I have Simon and Garfunkel singing, "Where Have You Gone, Gennady Golovkin?" <laughs> yes, uh, he's he's still ranked number one by TBRB. And he may, in fact, be retired and just not know it yet. That, that tells you where that <laughs> yeah, division is. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Um, yeah, very thin division, very uninspiring fight. Um, Zerto versus Joe Smith is better. Um, TBRB ranks them as the number four and five contenders to lineal champ Artur Batur-Biev. Um They've both lost to Dmitry Bevel. Smith has also lost to Bedarbiev. They're in that best-of-the-rest conversation, and uh, this is a pretty competitive match, I would think, as long as the two-round blowout that Smith suffered against Beterbiev didn't take too much out of him. Bam against Sonny, certainly an interesting matchup. Um, Sonny Edwards can be a real stinker sometimes, and I wonder if he can win a decision in the U.S. You know, not that it's Bam's hometown, but it's his general region of the country. The crowd will surely be on his side, I wonder if Edwards can win a decision there fighting mm-hmm. like a stinky pot mm-hmm. clowning, mm-hmm. mugging style. So I would say I'm more intrigued than excited by that one. Okay. Uh, the rest of the news. Undisputed women's 130-pound champ Alicia Baumgartner tested positive for mesterolone and methanolone acetate metabolites prior to her last fight on July 15th. She has vehemently disputed the test results on social media, saying that two other tests taken a few days later came back clean. Ludabella, promoter of Christina Linardatu, the boxer Baumgartner beat by unanimous decision on July 15th, says he hopes and expects the result will be changed to a no contest. In other women's boxing news, strawweight titleist Sinicia Estrada is going to have finger surgery to repair an injury. She says she suffered early in her July 28th victory over Leonella Utica. Uh, the Alphabet group that's been trying for a while to order an eliminator between Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz to create a mandatory challenger for Tyson Fury has given up and canceled that order. <laughs> the reasoning for this wasn't explained, but As we all know, Fury is going to do what he wants to do, regardless of any alphabet mandate. Um, And lastly, a feel-good story. TMZ reported that Floyd Mayweather paid to help out families displaced by the wildfires in Hawaii. He apparently flew 68 families from Maui to Honolulu and provided food, shelter, and clothing. Kieran, your thoughts on any of this?
1: I'm taking these in reverse order. Uh, First of all, good for Floyd. Um, I can't imagine how awful it must be to be in in the situation that people are in Maui. But to not only lose your home, but then find yourself with absolutely no food or shelter, I I just can't even imagine. So that's 68 families who have one thing less to worry about. So well done, Floyd. Um, As for the uh, sanctioning body issue, I found myself thinking how hilarious it would be if intentionally or otherwise, tyson fury just effectively called the sanctioning bodies bluff just by ignoring them like not even responding to them at all (laughs) and they real and and this is the way forward right just just ignore them and they'll huff and they'll puff and then they'll realize oh we have absolutely no leverage here um and then tyson's probably off doing whatever he's doing and not even paying attention to any sanctioning bodies and yeah nothing says how little you need sanctioning bodies and not even responding to them at all um i hope sinesta estrada heals up soon so she can be back in the gym and back in the ring and doesn't have to spend all day hanging out with her boyfriend um and i really really find myself hoping that this is some somehow for once some kind of false positive or something with Alicia Baumgartner because I think she's been such a positive for women's boxing yeah. and boxing generally. Um, you know, she she made the case, as you mentioned, that, that she tested negative immediately afterward. I mean, we'll see. Um, unfortunately, the substance detected from, as best as I can tell, are exactly the kind of things that you'd expect a female fighter to take to build muscle mass and improve endurance. Um, I want this to be a mistake somehow but we know how this often goes so uh, terribly terribly disappointing news if
2: this holds up yeah uh, okay we finish the show now with the top five countdown uh, kieran you tasked me with ranking the greatest fighters in the history of the bantamweight division and it was sort of interesting researching this to see it split into eras where a few guys stood out um, mm. there were fighters to consider from the 1940s and earlier There were a bunch to consider from the 60s through the early 80s, and there were a handful to consider from the last 20 years or so since we've been covering boxing. And I didn't necessarily think going in that any of those modern guys could crack the top five, but it turns out one of them does for me. Um, However, I'd like to start the countdown with my number six, um, just because, um, Kieran, you know the great Cheers episode where Cliff is on Jeopardy and his final Jeopardy answer is... Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? Are you familiar with (laughs) this? Right. Yes. So I reference that all the time, and uh, not everyone gets the reference. But anyway, at number six, I wanted to put him at number five, but I couldn't quite do it. At number six is a man who has been in my kitchen Um, about 15 years or so ago. (laughs) I invited a bunch of people over to my house for a pay-per-view, and my friend Herb, who's close friends with Robert Bam Bam Hines, he brought along with him both Rob Hines and Jolton Jeff Chandler, the great Hall of Fame Bantamweight champ from Philly. Um, He made nine successful title defenses across three years, finally lost the title and promptly retired, never fought again. I thought about putting him in my top five just out of Philly bias. And to say one of the people on my list has been in my kitchen. I can't quite do it, though. Uh, Jeff Chandler is my top honorable mention. Very good. I didn't even uh, consider him. So that's very good. Okay, not very good from you to not consider Jolton Jeff Chandler for my top five. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he hadn't been in your kitchen, would you? <laughs> I might have. I'd say, I'd say, no matter what, he's top ten. But, uh, okay. but yeah, I may be, I may be inflating him slightly at number six out of bias. But okay, okay, at number five, it's your list, do what you want. <laughs> That's true. Oh, put myself at number one. I am the greatest <laughs> phantom weight of all time. I mean, uh, even, even if I last saw Bantamweight in seventh grade or something oh, like that right? But, right, right. Yeah. Uh, all right at number five I didn't go into this expecting him to make my list but a close look at his Bantamweight resume and also looking at the others to consider and realizing you know th- there is no Sugar Ray Robinson of Bantamweight there are no fighters here who dominated the division for a full decade or or, or won a series of super fights like Ray Leonard did etc somewhat to my own surprise i am putting at number five naoya in a way um he had just nine fights at the weight all were title fights all were wins eight by knockout two over a fellow future hall of famer in the nito he also stopped emmanuel rodriguez in two rounds he beat juan carlos payano It's a hell of a resume. Um, I know it's tough to compare across eras, especially guys who fought like 120 years apart, but I think the monster has earned a spot in the top five. I have him at number five.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you did did this. I did also put him at number five Mm -hmm. and I could also make a case of him being higher even. Um, And that, yeah, my initial resistance to it was, as you mentioned, he just fought nine times uh, at that weight. But they were all meaningful fights. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, somewhat, as I was looking, and I, you know, because it wasn't my turn to make the list, my list is kind of half assed. But nonetheless, as I was looking at some of the guys who I just assumed would be on the list ahead of him, you find that actually they might have fought a bit more, but not necessarily a meaningful fight. They, he actually, if you're looking at, you know, title defenses or challenges, he's up there with a lot of them. Yeah. And then there is the fact that Eric. I think you and I could watch boxing for a long time, and we would struggle to find any boxer at any weight who is ba- n- clearly superior to Noe in a way. Um, right. He's just that special. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think he's a very, very, very good fighter, and, and we'll be saying, "Hey, man, we, we saw Noya anyway." Uh, uh, the same way that different you know generations were were mentioning some of these other names. So yeah, I also put him five. And I could almost put him higher because he's just that good.
2: Yeah. And and he may rise higher as there's some time and some distance. If indeed he yeah. enters the hall of fame as like considered one of the two or three best fighters of his whole generation or something, if, if he goes that route, then you might look back and say, yeah, he wasn't at Bantamweight that long, but we know how amazing he was. He was, I would actually put him top three all time or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, The rest of my list will fall into the history lesson category for most of our listeners Um, at number four, a boxer who may look on numbers alone like he was the best champ in division history. He made 19 successful defenses of the Bantamweight title across two reigns in the 1940s, spanning seven years, including 15 in a row in his first reign probably the greatest American Bantamweight ever, Manuel Ortiz. Um, Mm -hmm. But the opinions about his true greatness, despite the numbers, don't stack up with the three guys ahead of him. The the quality of opposition doesn't quite stack up. There are no fellow Hall of Famers he beat in title fights. So number four feels to me like the right spot for Manuel Ortiz.
1: Yeah, I had him in my sort of honorable mentions list. I I felt like there were – I was working perhaps as you – with a situation here where an awful lot of these guys, I was thinking, mm, okay, I haven't actually seen a lot of footage right. of these guys. Or in some cases, absolutely none, because there isn't footage, of course. Right. Um, and some of the positioning seemed arbitrary. Um, I, I put him just outside, but I could absolutely see putting him
2: in the top five. Okay. Well, the top three, um, I think there's room for debate in terms of putting these three in just about any order. But it does seem... Most people agree these are the top three in some order, and they all come from roughly the same time frame. One's era ends and the next era begins. My number three came in between the other two, ruling this division from the late 60s to early 70s. He later reigned at featherweight, but he was at his best at bantamweight. It's the Mexican great Ruben Olivares. His 118-pound title fight record wasn't much. He had two reigns four total successful defenses, but he was dominant prior to becoming champ. At one point in his career, he was 60 and oh with 55 knockouts. <laughs> he was an extremely popular action fighter who fought and beat a lot of tough competition. I've got Ruben Alvarez at number three.
1: Yeah, so do I. And so I think that despite the fact that um maybe both of us sort of sat down and struggled a little bit, I could already tell that I think we're going to have four of our top five, probably the same, because now I think I know what your 2 and one is as well. But I also had him at number three.
2: Okay. Uh, in number two is another Mexican, uh, another one with a sick KO rate, a much taller fighter than Oliveris. uh I think a greater bantamweight based on resume, the man who ruled the division from the mid-'70s until the end of the decade, Carlos Sarate. Uh, he scored nine successful defenses across three years before losing his title on what's considered a terrible decision to Lupe Pintor. He won one true super fight at Bannum against Alfonso Zamora. The super fight that he lost to Wilfredo Gomez was at a higher weight and shouldn't count against him here. At one point in his career, he was 45-0 and with 44 KOs. Uh, wow. Carlos Zarte is uh, number two on my list, and I take no issue with anyone who may say he's their number one.
1: Yeah. And I think the case, you know, you mentioned the 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 bogus loss to Lupe Pintura. I You could make a case that he should be unbeaten at Bandaway, I believe. Right. And that's, you know, I think that says it all right there. So, yeah, I absolutely have Zarate at number two. I think we know who number one is.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty clear at this point. Uh, it's the guy who ruled this division for much of the 60s prior to Oliveras' emergence. It's a man who died last year, and we paid tribute to him then, and said he was considered by many the greatest bantamweight ever. He was also considered by many the best fighter period of the 60s, ahead of even Muhammad Ali. I'm talking, of course, about the Brazilian great, Eder Joffre. Uh, The numbers fall maybe slightly short of Zarate's. Um, He became champ in 61 and made eight successful defenses before losing the title in the first loss of his career against fighting Harada by narrow decision. Then he also lost the rematch, also by narrow decision. But those were the only two fights he ever lost. Um, this is partially an eye test thing. You, you could make a case <sighs> for Zarate on resume, or even Manuel Ortiz on resume. But the flawless fighting ability of Joffre, the combination of skill and plenty of power to go with it, set him apart. I think Joffre merits the number one ranking on this list.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I, and I think from... from the... The sort of research that i was doing that seems to be close to a consensus that uh you know you mentioned that the ones we had on our, our top three are a pretty common kind of top three and it feels that on balance he tends to be the uh, first among equals there on most people's list as well that are joffrey um so yeah i also had him at number one
2: I saw at least one historian's list that had Zarate one and Joffrey two, but Fair I think enough. you're right. This is this is if it's not unanimous, but it is consensus. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, honorable mentions, um, and I guess somewhere among these will be whoever's at your number four, but uh, so you'll reveal that when I'm done running through my honorable mentions. But uh, four very old timers who are tough to judge and contextualize: uh, Panama Al Brown, George Dixon, Pete Herman. And Terry McGovern, who was an all-time great, but only briefly passed through 118 pounds. He was better known for his featherweight reign. Uh, Then there's Fighting Harada, who beat Joffrey twice. Um, Soon after Jeff Chandler, there was Jeff Fennec, who didn't stay long at 118. uh, And Orlando Canizales, who has tremendous numbers at Bantamweight, but it was all alphabet defenses and he never tried to unify mm-hmm. and then um two fighters that we've covered uh rafael marquez who had a dominant reign from 03 to 06 and beat mark johnson twice tim austin mauricio pastrana twice is now deservedly in the hall of fame and anito Dinero, uh who went 3-0 and mm-hmm. in the division in his brief first time through then later came back down to 118 and has gone four and three but two of the losses are against Inouye, and the other yeah. came after his 40th birthday. If I were doing a top 10, uh, Chandler, as I said, is, is my number six, or at least certainly in the top 10, I'd probably get in a couple of the old timers. I think Rafa Marquez is near the bottom mm-hmm. of the top 10, maybe fighting Harada. Um, among those guys that we've covered, just at Bantamweight alone, I would go Inouye one, Marquez two and Donaire three. And I assume somewhere in there, I said, your number four guy. Yeah. So I took a punt on one
1: of, on that, one of those first group of four mm-hmm. that you mentioned. And I did go for George Dixon. This okay. was one of those instances where you're relying on, on the writings and uh, historical recollections of others, but right. very, very, very much old timer, you know, he's a 19th century fighter, but considered one of the the guys who perhaps did the most to advance the science of boxing he was one of the first to who sort of developed real footwork and 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 developed a means of working on the bag and he had i think 20 something title defenses or title fights rather 23 vital title fights um which at that time was enormous amount so i put george dixon in there just feeling just based on the great um you know Uh, the distance from him just looking at his record and and, and some of those other achievements, I thought he deserved to sneak in there. Uh, And yeah, there's nobody who you had on your honorable mentions um, who I didn't. and Nobody who I had who you didn't. I was particularly thinking also about fighting Harada being quite close on that list, Mm -hmm. but there were, yeah, it was an interesting one. And I think when I thought about it, I thought that there would be, a few very clear ones. I thought it might be a little bit like the welterweight one that you assigned me that there were going to be a couple of very obvious ones, but it's sort of like a comet in that there's not necessarily one. There's a, there's a very long tail, right. if you will, yes. in the division, yeah. right? There's, there's a lot of people competing, not necessarily for that top three or four, but for that top 10 or even 20 uh, there in that division. Um And you could stick a pin in some of these names and probably have a pretty good case.
2: Yeah. And uh, I think what we've learned here is that uh, with George Dixon being from Canada, you have the same pro Canada bias that I have for Philly. It's that that's pretty much what's behind my Chandler pick and your George Dixon pick.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much there. Eh? Right. I mean, <laughs> just a couple
2: hours away. So. Right. Live in know. Vermont, travel to Alaska all the time. You're, you're an honorary Canadian as your like, <laughs> fifth nationality <laughs> or whatever that would make
1: it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with post-fight thoughts on Usyk versus Dubois. We'll have a preview of the Liam Smith-Chris Eubank Jr. rematch. And, well... It's suddenly gone very quiet, hasn't it? So um, I think you could probably count on an interesting interview to fill some time as well. Maybe we'll come up with a new game to play. Who the hell knows? Um, Until then, thanks as always for listening. Be safe.